Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope all is good with you and yours wherever you are in the world. We're recording on a Friday morning, a little bit later than normal for a, a Friday Arscast, but that's because of the Europa League. You know, we play on a Thursday evening and by the time you get all the stuff done on the site and, you know, it's it's late and it's not the optimal time for people to be available to do recordings, etc., etc. So uh, we're here nonetheless and we will be having a conversation about the Europa League. Six wins out of six for Arsenal in the Europa League group stage. 18 points. I think it is the first time that that has ever happened uh, to us in a European campaign. I mean, you don't get any prizes for it, but I suppose it's uh, it's worth mentioning. Some things about the game itself, of course, that were positive. The young players, are they knocking on the door for the Premier League team? Are we just going to see more of the same in the Premier League this weekend? I hope we don't. How can Mikel Arteta fix it without an influx of young talent or can he get more out of the old disappointing bastards that have been doing it week in, week out since the season began? Those are questions that we will explore with our guest in a couple of moments' time. Before we do, I just want to mention once again, if you are doing shopping online this Christmas, if you're looking for presents, and if you're uh, keen perhaps to avoid some of the big global online brands and you want to keep it local, you maybe want to help a fellow Arsenal fan in the process, please check out Arsbiz dot arsblog.com that's arsbiz.arsblog.com it is a classified site uh, where we have listed hundreds of arsenal fans who run their own small businesses and services and everything else creators artists loads of stuff in there many of them are offering discount codes and at this weird strange time in the world if we can support one another and help one another and keep things moving uh, we'll all come out the better for it don't make billionaires any richer than they already are. Help your fellow Arsenal fans. Go have a look and see if there's something you like that you might want to give as a gift this Christmas, or you just want for yourself and you could buy it from a fellow gooner. So do check it out, arsbiz.arsblog.com. And to mention, I suppose uh, time is a bit tight as well when it comes to deliveries and postage and all that kind of stuff. But the wonderful Christmas card, the goodly Christmas Christmas card, drawn by poorly drawn Arsenal, our friend uh, has put that together. It is on sale. You will find the link in the show notes. You could give somebody a goodly Christmas card this Christmas. What better 
They'll look at it and go, who the fuck are those two guys? But you know, and that's the main thing, all the proceeds from that Christmas card are going to go to the Arsenal Foundation as well. So whatever we raise from that, we will donate every single penny to the Arsenal Foundation. Again, click on arseblog.com or look in the show notes on your podcast app. You will find a link there to the Redbubble site and you can buy the Goodly Christmas card. Right, let's get on with the show. And to talk about the 4-2 win over Dundalk, some eye-catching individual performances from one or two of the young players who may or may not force themselves into contention uh, for the uh, so-called first team uh, and lots more besides from CBS Sports. It's James Bench. Hello, James. Hi, Andrew. Right. Let's talk about the Europa League group stage in general. Six wins out of six, the first time Arsenal have ever done that in a European uh, campaign. Is it a positive thing, uh, given the quality of the group and the calibre of the opposition? Is it something we should, in these dark times, perhaps take as, <laughs> take as something of an achievement? Or, you know, how, how do you view that? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd be pretty pleased with it. Um, I mean, none of them are great teams, but equally, like, I think we saw Mulder and Rapid Vienna certainly in the first game when they played a full-strength team. They're not bad either. They're, they're, they're decent teams who would give a good account of themselves. And, mm. hey, look, this is Arsenal. They're not getting many wins. Um, if you can find one, just clutch it to your heart and sometimes don't worry too much about what it means for Sunday's Premier League snore fest. And just, um, I just kind of, at least in patches, I could just sit back and really enjoy watching some, some good young players kick a football about. It was quite fun. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It is about young players, isn't it? When you when you think about, you know, who has really made the impact in this group, apart from the first game, I think when, I think David Luiz and um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scored the goals. You know, after that, you're looking at goals from from Joe Willock, uh, Nicolas Pepe, Eddie Nketiah, Reese Nelson. Um, you know, there are uh, lots of things to like about uh, the young players that we've got coming through. I realise that part of that is because, you know, any young player who comes through now at Arsenal and shows even the vaguest measure of promise feels like... Uh, a cure, if you like, for the guys who aren't doing it in the Premier League week in, week out, um, you know, that people might be perhaps a little bit fed up with, it would be reasonable to say. On their own merits, though, when you see Nelson, Willock, Balagoon, uh, Smith Rowe, Enkedia, you know, whatever their futures might hold at Arsenal, it's still a, a positive thing in its own right that these players are coming into the team. Um, they are being asked to do a job and they're doing that job. Absolutely. I think the, there's such a challenge of that next step up because, you know, Arsenal are their best when they were blooding young players. You know, the likes of Wilshire, Fabregas, mm. um, you know, particularly in the Wenger era. Often those players were, you know, impressing in the League Cup or impressing in the, the dead rubbers in the Champions League and then coming into a largely well-functioning Premier League team. I mean, it had its ups and downs, but it knew how it played. Um, it was a defined style that you could slot a young player into because you knew how they played and yeah. you knew what was needed for the team. And that doesn't exist at Arsenal right now. And that's that's always the challenge with assessing all these players. Is I don't know if Emile Smith-Rowe is the answer to Arsenal's creative problems. I don't know if following Balogun could be the starting centre-forward and shift the Bamiang out wide because I just don't really know what the the, the system is. Um, it's not. This isn't necessarily a, a criticism of Arteta. I think it's more about the squad that's been built. But 
it's kind of it's kind of really hard to to get a gauge for where these youngsters are in terms of the Arsenal pecking order. All you can say is, look, you know, they were given these opportunities and they've performed really well. They've played football the way that you would like an Arsenal team to play football. They're energetic, they're attack-minded, they create chances without going to to crosses. Uh, They always look for possession. They always try and get the ball forward. Mm. I feel like that's all you can really assess them on is their attitude and their their willingness to work um, because we I don't know I don't know how good Rapid Vienna or Mulder really are compared to Burnley um, but what I know is that you know these 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 kids are clearly going to put in a really good shift for the cause and there's some there's some talent to work with there of some level um, I'd like to yeah I, I, it's so hard getting a sense for yeah. how near they are to taking the next step up and the honest answer is sometimes you just have to throw your hands up and go. I've got no idea. Yeah. Well, look, you, we'll we'll talk about some of the individuals, but you mentioned something there, you know, that the, the style of play, I think, is a really interesting one because you asked Mikel Arteta a question last night in his press conference, and um, I'm just going to play the clip of it here. I mean, notable as well that there were slightly fewer crosses in this game than there were in the previous ones. Is that more like how you want Arsenal to play? Yes, so, you know, I think it's a reasonable question for you to ask. You know, is this more like the kind of football you want Arsenal to play rather than the the sort of cross-heavy football we've got uh, over the last couple of weeks, you know, in particular the Wolves game and, and the Tottenham game? Um, you know, there are various reasons for that as well. You know, I, I thought it was... Um, I think he thought the question perhaps was... Uh, not tongue-in-cheek, but maybe you were trying to to take the mickey or something like that. And I don't mm-hmm. think that was true at all. And obviously, I know you, and I think what you were trying to do was, you know, ask a, a, a question about the way he wants his team to play. And I think even though there were elements of the Arsenal performance which weren't particularly great last night, you know, it is more uh, in line with what we think the kind of football Mikel Arteta wants Arsenal to play should be, right? And the last couple of weeks have been something of an anomaly in terms of playing style, we haven't really played like that before. And some of the things that he said about how if we do this more, we'll be more effective at it are a little bit confusing because it's sort of like, well, hang on a minute, what, what's going on here? So, you know, this this question of style is is quite interesting. Um, you know, how does he try and implement something more Europa League in Premier League terms? Yeah, on the question, um, I mean, I don't, I don't particularly. You know, I think I think to be honest, he can answer yes because I phrased the question badly enough that yeah, he yeah, yeah. Can give it a straight <laughs> yes or no answer. And you know, I mean, obviously, you're asking these questions in the moment, and sometimes you you phrase them not as you'd like. Um, and I'm pretty happy that he gave us one word answer because at least I know that we all know that you know the crosses aren't what he wants. But the reason for asking that question, and this is something I know you hit on on Monday with with James. I don't believe that Arsenal do want to to be a team that that throws best part of 50 crosses into the box every game because, you know, Mikel Arteta clearly is an intelligent man. Whatever his flaws may be as a manager, I don't really want to debate them. I'm not interested in that at the moment. You know, he, he must understand that it is a low probability route to goal to cross the ball towards Pierre Emerick Bamiang against, Mm. you know, an, an Eric Dyer or a, James Tarkovsky or whoever. And, you know, I mean, kind of the logic to asking the question was, do you just want to clear up for once and for all that you're not really trying to build an Arsenal team that revolves around crossing the ball into the box? 
Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I don't particularly know what he didn't like about that. I still don't really know what it was that that prompted him to um, get unhappy with with Charles Watts later in the press conference. And um, you know, I've, it's it, it, it's a curious one because I, I think it's a really fair question. And yeah. sometimes, like you know, kind of think I've maybe asked a question there that wasn't the right time to ask, but I didn't feel that at all with. Um, asking Arteta about how his team plays football. I mean, also, it's something managers usually like talking about. He likes talking about and talks about well. Um, It's just just because this isn't, you know, the last two games are not how I think anyone at Arsenal envisages Arsenal playing football. And um, this Europa League team is. And that's where the interesting, you know, the, 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 the tough area to gauge comes is, you know, do, is it about the personnel and that, that players like Willian can only really attack at the moment in this team in that way by putting in crosses? Is it when Kieran Tierney and Saka are your left flank? That's just how they work well. And therefore, do you need to, you know, change things up to to get, you know, players that are more able to get in behind, that are more willing to cut inside and play a through pass? Mm. Um I don't really know the answer to any of that because obviously um, Mikel opted not to expand. Um, and, you know, similarly, I kind of asked a, a follow-up question on, on Smith Rowe because I, I like him. I think he's a really, really excellent footballer. Um, and, you know, it was that thing there. He speaks about creativity, he speaks about all these things you can feel Arsenal are lacking, someone that wants the ball, someone that that looks to get into space high up the pitch. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I wouldn't expect him to give a guarantee that he'd play against Burnley. But, you know, I mean, speaking to people that know uh, Smith Rowe before the game, they were sort of saying, uh, we think the chances of him playing against Burnley are about 0%. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. It just, it feels a bit like Arteta's bristling about what are really fair questions about his style of football. Um, and that ultimately is kind of, you know, he's made a bit of a rod for his own back here on crosses it, it dominated the agenda and I was kind of hoping that he would be able to get to a position where he answered it in such a way that we just don't have to talk about Arsenal doing something that they obviously don't really want to yeah. do anymore. It's, it's um, how will I phrase this? It's the chicken wing theory, right? Chicken wings are good. I apologise to any vegetarians or vegans that are listening to this, but this is just for uh, the purposes of example. Chicken wings are good. Some crosses are good. Like, think of, for example, the cross, was it Kieran Tierney put on the head of Lacazette that he headed over uh, in in one of the games that we lost, right? That is a great example of a good cross. You know, there's the, uh, you, you spot the player, you deliver the ball into a dangerous area. That's good, right? Chicken wings are good. Four or five or maybe 10 chicken wings are good. If you have 50 chicken wings, chicken wings start to become a fucking pain, Right. It's about it's about quantity. Uh, So, you know, the idea that, you know, crossing in itself is a is a is a bad thing. I'm not really on board with that. But as the only thing, as a sort of desperate way of playing the game, 
And, you know, I do recognize that, you know, in the Tottenham game in particular, they were happy to give us those wide areas from which we could deliver the ball. You know, there was no going through the middle anyway. But, you know, it, it, it just doesn't strike me that this is the, the kind of football Mikel Arteta wants to play. He doesn't have the players uh, in the middle to play. You know, we can make the jokes about Fellaini or Andy Carroll or Olivier Giroud or whatever you want to say. But, you know, the, the, they're based in reality. When you have players like that, you can make perhaps um, that, that kind of game a little bit more effective, if not massively so. So, yeah, I think it was worth exploring that with him and, and you know, what um, what his ideal is and what his philosophy is. I mean, do you feel like he has become a little bit confused? Or I think he said something a couple of weeks ago. He said, if you try and ask players to do things before they're ready to do it, it'd be, it it's quite dangerous. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. And he seems to have changed from, you know, the back three uh you know, hybrid back four system, whatever you want to call it, you know, but with wing backs, that was reasonably effective, not brilliant, but it worked to a large extent. Um, and he's moved to something else. And, you know, is there an element of confusion in what he's asking the players to do? Has he done it without having the right players in place? It just feels like he he's kind of got stuck a little bit. We're in a rut, we're revving the engine, the wheels are stuck in the mud and we need we need a plank to put under the wheels to get ourselves out of it, whatever that plank might be. I completely agree. Um, I feel like there is, you know, he knows he knows where he wants Arsenal to get in terms of system, in terms of style of play, and, you know, where they started, where he took them in the early months, and where they are now, none of them are really anywhere near it. Um, I mean, he said, didn't he, to Spanish press, you know, it's 4-3-3, and I think there's been sort of some dispute about what he kind of really meant when he was talking about how many of those players will, um, how many of those players that are in the squad now would fit into his ideal 11. But I mean, you know, you, you look at the ideal 11 and you say he needs, I don't, I don't buy into the idea that you solve every problem with, tra- with transfers. Having said that he needs, you know, quality additions to this squad across the board. You know, mm. He needs a really good midfielder. He needs a right-sided centre-back. He knows that Arsenal know that. Um, and they'll try and work on making it happen. But I, I suppose one of the things I think is that maybe a few weeks into this season, Arsenal tried to sort of start running a little bit before they could walk convincingly mm. um, in, in ditching the back three because it was a bit turgid, but it was effective. I mean, that, you know, this was kind of going back to when Arsenal were drawing nil-nil or maybe winning one-nil or even losing one-nil and everyone was going, yeah, it's fine, but I'm a bit bored. Um, and obviously the, the the conversation among some supporters and the just overall sense of the club has got worse since being a bit boring. Mm. Um, the challenge is once you take that step away from what feels like a previous you know a, a more retrograde version of Arsenal it's kind of really hard to just go back I don't I think it would I think the players are smart enough to understand that if you he goes back to playing the back three that is not a ringing endorsement of their qualities and you know he is he is paid to win games not to eventually employ em, employ a philosophy um but I think it would it would be a it, it's quite tough to go uh we you know our plan did not work at all yeah. we're going back to something we don't want to do just because uh, we can't get the next step in the process like playing with a back four trying to you know, find some more attacking talent on the pitch we can't make it work 
So I think he's he's stuck in a in a really awkward position. Um, it will get better because you know, I I'm no great fan <laughs> of the, some of the players in this squad, but the the quality of it is seventh or eighth, not fifteenth or sixteenth. It will get better, I, I believe. Um, but it really it needs the squad to change for any Arsenal manager to be able to kind of put a convincing system in place because what do you do when your midfield bar Thomas Partey is one paced and, you know, get nosebleeds around the edge of the box unless Mohamed El Nani is shooting. What do you do when all your right-sided centre-backs are varying shades of unconvincing? Um, you know, it's, it's really tough um, and it's hard to implement a philosophy whilst dealing with players that, that you know don't quite fit it. Where does he, where does he go um, from here in the sense that, yeah, I think you're right. You know, this is a squad that, that whoever's in charge, whether it's Mikel Arteta or somebody else, there are players that we need to get rid of, players who are uh, involved on a regular basis, who are basically an impediment to us playing the kind of football we want to play and also, uh, you know, getting higher up the table. Um, and that's not just from 15th, I mean, finishing higher um, than we have been doing in the last couple of seasons. I think we all know the names. There's no point in me going into that. But can he can he keep picking these same players week in, week out, and ignore perhaps some of the younger talent at the club and get away with it. If that, I don't mean get away with it, but you know what I mean? Without escaping huge criticism. Like, uh, you know, if Arsenal had lost games against Burnley and uh, Leicester uh, or uh, Villa and Leicester and Wolves and what have you, and we'd gone with a really young side, you know, there's part of you that says, well, people will say, Look, it's a young team. They're growing. They're learning. They've got potential. Blah blah blah. the The instant argument would be: we need more experience in the team. So mm. the idea that we could just pivot to this complete youth project, you know, I like the idea of it. In part because I'm just fucking fed up with seeing yeah. some of the guys week in week out. But I know that the, as soon as we go down that road, there'll be people who are saying, "Well, the balance is wrong. You don't have experience." I can make an argument to say, well, look, you know, at least these young guys might learn a bit and it might be fresher and different and, and everything else. Um, but there there must come a point where, with all necessary caveats about the Europa League, about the, the, the opposition that we're facing, et cetera, et cetera, the form of some of the senior players who are getting picked every single week and just not producing mm. means that, like, unless you unless you acknowledge that in some way in your team selection, you're creating an environment in which the young players don't feel like there's a genuine pathway for them to get chances in the Premier League. And these guys who, they just feel comfortable going, well, mm. you know, okay, I played badly, team played badly, we lost, but I'm going to play again next week. And that's all that really matters. You know, I'm going to play. And like footballers want to play. Let's make no mistake about that. They're not happy they when they don't play. That, that they'll get better. You know, they in, in their head. You know, the struggling players will go. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn my form around. I just need those chances. And, mm. You know, they don't think of themselves as in a as that. You know, I'm performing badly. They just think they're unlucky. Mm. I, I guess to to answer your, I mean, I I really struggle um, because I, you know, uh, with my fan hat 
on I go yeah I'm with you blow it up I'm sick and tired of this it's it's boring it you know I want to see what these youngsters can do but it's not a conducive is this is not a conducive environment to be throwing anyone in at the deep end is this not, is that not a vicious circle then you know in the yeah. sense that it's like the worse yeah. we play the more reliant we are on the, the players who are playing badly to get us out of it therefore we you know we are just spinning the wheels in the mud again. They're the they're the mud and the wheels, and the young kids could potentially be the plank. I completely get what you're saying. It's yeah, like, I think well, you're you know, right. you know, it's like it is really difficult if we throw in these young guys. You know, is it going to be the the optimal environment for them? Are they going to flourish? Are they going to you know maybe suffer some damage early in their career that they won't cope from? And part of me just goes, well, you know, fuck it. I would rather see. Um, you know, as I said earlier this season, I'd rather see William Saliba make a mistake than Shkodran Mustafi mm-hmm. make a mistake because there is the potential for William Saliba at 19 years of age to to learn from that, to for it to be part of his his footballing education. Similarly, you know, I'd rather see uh, Reese Nelson or uh, Emil Smith Rowe, you know, play ahead of Willian because you know what the fuck is Willian going to learn at this? stage in his career nothing you know can it really be that worse if we throw in i'm not saying like get rid of all the senior players and all the 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 experienced players but if we throw in some measure of youth to at least say look you guys have been shit i have to do something with somebody mm. else here's a rocket up your arse or otherwise maybe you can go and sulk and fuck off you know as far as i'm concerned it doesn't you know but let's give these a couple of kids a chance from the start, a couple of kids on the bench and try and inject something to, to, to put right or start to put right something, which is very clearly not working at premier league level. Yeah. You know, listening to that, I agree. I think you don't, you don't have to, I think there's, there's almost certainly a middle ground between blow the whole thing up and make it clear to a lot of, very senior players in the dressing room and, you know, in the club hierarchy that this just isn't good, isn't good enough. Um, I'm a huge admirer of Hector Bellerin, but it's not good enough for, a, a, you know, Arsenal vice captain, a senior player, a, a Spanish international now. Um, his performances, I don't care about foul throws. It's not a big deal, but his actual performances when the, the ball's on the pitch, not good enough. Bring in Maitland-Niles. Um, I guess Pepe may well come back. Uh, on Sunday anyway but no, if there was any- not on Sunday oh is he still banned one more one more yeah one more well then Reese Nelson if he's fit if not him Smith Rowe or Balogun maybe out wide you know yeah you don't have to blow the whole team up because I think there are, there are players in that team that are not necessarily performing poorly you know they're not or then you don't feel like it's nowhere near good enough but I mean you know and I say the same thing about Maybe someone like Xhaka, you know, the senior experienced players that Arsenal need to hit consistent standards. I think if they're not doing that, then there needs to be some degree of message sent out. And as you say, what's it's better that they make the mistakes. It's better that a young player like a Willock or a Saliba or whoever makes those mistakes than it is someone we've seen do them time and time again. And they've shown that they don't learn from them. Well, yeah, that's absolutely key, isn't it? Yeah. We've seen, again, these are all players that I really like because I've seen them at their best. 
But I've also seen Granite Xhaka have string of four to six month periods where I am convinced and I put my name to it in print that, you know, here we go. This is it. This is what we've been waiting since 2016 for. But you know what? If it only lasts four months, that might just be the fluky bit. And he might be the player that he has been over recent weeks. Um, I, the only player I'd, I'd kind of sing, sing, you know, say we kind of need to not worry too much about him or, trust him to find his own form would be Aubameyang because he's getting nothing. I don't know how anyone can assess Aubameyang when the ball's never coming to him. He's getting minimal opportunities to shoot. I know people could say he needs to go and get it himself, but that's not his style. But yeah, we've seen enough of these players. They've had enough chances to make mistakes and learn from them. I think some of them have to, you know, be be given a spell away on the sidelines and let's see what the youngsters can do. Mm against a team like Burnley where actually energy, uh, a bit of fearlessness, a bit of verticality, those are all qualities the youngsters bring and they're all qualities that you'll need against Burnley and against Southampton. Mm. Yeah, well, look, I, I hope that we do see, you know, some measure of change for the, the squad against uh, Burnley at the weekend, you know. Um, just at least to give you the idea that, that there is some sort of meritocracy if that's the right word or an acknowledgement that some of the players who haven't been doing it just you know need to I don't mean learn a lesson but there there should be consequences when you don't play to the level that's required you know you should lose your place in the team somebody else comes in gets a chance and that is what creates the the competitive environment it just feels a little bit at the moment like there are you know too many too many favorites and perhaps it's because Arteta views the gap between those senior players and some of the young players who, who you know, uh, are promising but maybe aren't quite there yet is, is too big. Like, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, I, I really enjoyed the cameo and the debut from Miguel Aziz last night against Dundalk, that, that little Fabregas-esque turn <laughs> in the centre of the park. It was just like, oh, give me more. I want more of that, you know. But the, the, the temptation then is to say, well, you know, he did that. Let's put him in the team. Let's just, you know, rebuild around him. And, you know, they're, they're, there's an element of perhaps heart-ruling head there, you know, with, with things like that. But I do hope that there are some uh, some changes for Burnley. But I want to go back to uh, what happened in Dublin last night. Um, following Balogun looks a hell of a player doesn't he? Mm. He really does look like a, a hell of a prospect and it's something that uh, the club have been well aware of for a while. Uh, Eddie and Keddie is starting games and to Eddie's credit, he scored a very good goal last night. He was persistent. The finish was really good. He's our he's our top scorer this season for all that that entails. <laughs> I know there are <laughs> I know there are things which make that uh, you know it's a good thing for Eddie, but also it, it speaks poorly of of the amount of goals that we've scored so far this season. But Balagoon, when he came on, you know, sometimes you just look at a young player and you think, okay, like they're all really talented. You've got to be super talented to make it to this level, even to the fringes of the the Arsenal Academy. You've got to have an amazing talent. and But sometimes a player steps on a pitch and you go, okay, 
this guy has got something. He's got presence. He's got whatever it is. There's just an aura about him, a confidence about him. Scored with his first touch when he came on uh, the other week and then set up a goal for Joe Willock. Scored a very good goal like a a seasoned pro. Uh, You know, so... uh, it's 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 really great to see a young player come through with that kind of quality, but there is a difficult situation for Arsenal to deal with in terms of his contract, which expires in, in June. Arteta says he wants to stay. How confident are you that Arsenal can make that happen? Uh, it's a really tough one. Um, there is certainly will... I think it is really tough. You have another young striker as well, Tyrese John Jules, that uh, is very different to those two. He is much more of a mm. link man, target man, still scores. But he's another one that Arsenal are invested in in the development of, and they, they, they see a potential pathway to the first team. So you have these three strikers here, all of a, a similar age, all academy developed, mm. and everyone, you know, everyone understands that there's no way all three of them can be regular starters. Probably there's no way that two of them can, but you can keep two of them around for longer mm. and loan one out. Um, the challenge is, the, the challenge is that Nketiah, while Nketiah continues to play really well, um, or well enough, and score goals, which is what he does, um, it's quite hard to build much of a pathway for Balogun because um, you have Bamiang, you have Lacazette, you'll have Martinelli soon. Um, it seems like there was a sort of swing in the direction from from Balogun's side of you know I might I might stay around for a bit longer and see how this is going if he's going to get opportunities in the cup. Mm. I think the fear was from what I heard the fear was that he would he'd never feature at all. He'd got to the stage where under twenty three football was was pointless. Um, you know, you just go and score four goals whenever he felt like it. So I think there was a fear that his development wouldn't be well served just sitting around in the fringes of the Arsenal squad. So he'd have to he'll have to play cup games. I think he'd even have to be involved in the Premier League squad, sort of similar to what Arsenal did with Chiba Akpom, a much sort of lesser prospect. But mm. I remember a few years ago when he was really involved, and I think that was around the time when his contract was was coming close to expiring. Um, the, the challenge is that if, if Balogun doesn't quite believe that he's really going to get a, a real chance to win a first-team squad place. It's just not in his interest to sign the deal. And I know everyone gets very upset when people think about it like that because we all dream of being able to play for Arsenal. But, you know, the, these guys have got to safeguard a career. They've mm. got to make sure that they're moving at the right time. And, you know, there's teams like Brentford, Southampton would love to give Balogun re- regular minutes. And that's how you become an England international or you become a US international in his case, maybe. Um, so it's a tough one. The honest answer is I don't know, but clearly the mood, mood music coming out of Arsenal has changed and they will have to have had indications from Balogun. They were always of the view that they're probably not going to sell him last summer. I think they thought he would go to Eng- a club in England if he left, uh, if he leaves at the end of next season, so they'd get a, a decent compensation fee for him. Um, yeah, I, well... Sorry, I know that's not a great answer saying I don't yeah. really know, but I don't really know. Yeah. It's a hard one to call. It is It is a weird one because, you know, I see people talk about um, Nketiah and say that Balagoon maybe has got a higher ceiling or is a more rounded player than Nketiah. And I think that could be the case. You know, mm. my my 
what I've seen of Balagoon is is limited in comparison yeah. to Eddie. But Eddie is he's a penalty box striker. He's a poacher. He's just like a finisher. That's what he is. Balagoon looks like he can play um, with his back to goal. I was really impressed with the way that the ball stuck with him last night. The the pitch at the Aviva Stadium was bad. Uh, you know, there'd been a, a cup final there on Sunday and a rugby game the, the few days before, so it was a bad pitch. And many players were finding it difficult to get the ball under control when it was fizzed into him with his back to goal with defenders, you know, up his arse. He was able to keep it and the ball stuck to him. I think that's really uh, an impressive part of his game. So, you know, people will say, look, Balagoon can do more. Put your eggs in the Balagoon basket. Let Eddie and Ketty go. Because, you know, you could, for example, if you're using uh, Rian Brewster as any kind of measure for what a young striker might fetch in the market, Brewster moved from Liverpool to Sheffield United for north of £20 million. He never scored a goal for Liverpool. He's still to score a goal for Sheffield United. Eddie has got nearly 20 career goals for Arsenal, which is not huge, but it's still reasonable for a a guy of his age. He's the uh, record goal scorer at England under 21 level. So, you know, he is somebody who could fetch a reasonable fee in the market. And he's got a contractual situation as well in that it doesn't end this summer, but next summer, summer of 22. So either way, Arsenal have got to make a decision on Eddie, uh, you know, in the not too distant future, whether they're going to sell him or whether they're going to give him a, a new deal. The, the issue is where it gets a bit delicate, I, and I don't know how many people are aware of this, but but uh, Nketiah and Balagoon have the same agent. Mm. So... You know, I know you could make the case, and um, it was made to me last night on Twitter, that it's win-win for the agent in that he could get a, a, a nice fee if Arsenal sold Nketiah, and he could uh, also make a nice fee if Arsenal give Balogun a healthy contract to convince him to stay. But I think there are, there are it's a bit more delicate than that. It's a bit more complicated than that. If you, if you as a football club say, well, we really want to go big on Balogun. We see him as the future. We want to give him a long-term deal. But that means, you know, it's kind of curtains for Eddie. But Eddie really wants to stay at Arsenal, for example. Yeah. And he re- he doesn't want to leave. And he doesn't want to be forced out. And that's, you know, it, it is, it's tricky, I think, uh, to deal with both those situations. It may not be a case of, of one or the other, either or. It could be a case that Arsenal keep both of them. But... You know, it, it is one of those situations where if Arsenal giving Keddie a new deal, can you convince Balogun to get, to to sign a contract knowing that, you know, a, a striker of basically the same age who's ahead of him in the pecking order, you know, is going to be there as well. You know, it's, it, it, is, it is a difficult one. I, I think the key thing is if you can, you know, whichever decision you make, I think there will be a moment in five, six years' time where I suspect if one of them goes, there will be a vocal group that say, oh, you sold the wrong one, whichever one goes. Um, but it, this is, you know, this is academy development and first team development done really well. Um, you know, Arsenal have got a striker who, yeah, I mean, I would say Nketiah would, would fetch 25 million even in the current market. Mm. Um, and if they decide to invest in him, well, Balogun, I know, I, you know, you, you need to tie him down to a new contract, if only to sell him, and that's a challenge. You know, it's hard to to convince agents and players that you know to do you a sort of favour when it means that they'll earn less in commission, they'll earn less in salary, all that. But ultimately, you know, Arsenal have 
have done a really good job there in developing themselves to top quality strikers. And this is a great problem to have. As much as you might make a mistake, you might sell the wrong one. You might, uh, you know, you might give Alex Oxlade Chamberlain years and years and years of opportunity on it as a right winger. Um, and maybe you should have given it to Serge Gnabry and it all looks dreadful in retrospect, but mm. you know, you, you kind of can't, can't make these decisions worrying about how it'll come back and bite you in the future. If you've developed two good young strikers and there's only a pathway for one, it's up to you to maximize the value of the other, you know, by, probably by selling him. Um, and that there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think, you know, whichever player it is, you can get a, a great fee and that's, you know, paid for their development and plenty more and allows you to strengthen the squad elsewhere. So, you know, that's the other the other side of all this talk about youth football and the, the young players. It, you know, they're, they're developing into assets that if you don't want to, to play them, someone else may well come along and pay you a, a tidy, tidy fee to uh, to do that themselves. So I think it's... It, it's people worry about these things because they're like worrying, but actually whatever happens, you're going to have a, you're almost certainly going to have one at least really good young striker in your squad who for now is a pretty reliable bench option that can start in the Europa League can start in the league cup and will come on and we'll get you a few goals. That's good. Like, you know, for everything mm. we've criticized Arsenal about before, you've got to say they've, they've done brilliant work over the last six or seven years in, in building this pathway that so many of the uh, youngsters have taken over the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that's fair. I also just wonder that if sometimes we, you know, we don't use um, the value that the academy might provide to us by perhaps making decisions on some of the younger mm. players a bit more quickly in terms of, you know, when we're going to sell them. And uh, look, I, I, I realise the... The market is a strange beast right now, obviously, with COVID, and it's not normal, and it's, it's not what it used to be. Um, and just speaking of that, you know, we're heading towards the January transfer window. Do you harbor any concerns that, you know, given the fact we lost the director of football, I know there was a restructuring, and Arteta was made manager, and Edu was made technical director, but we lost the contract guy and Husfami, you know, that perhaps there's a piece missing at executive level football executive level to do the things that we want to do whether it's you know negotiate a new contract with Balagoon whether it's bringing in players in the January transfer window whether it's finding uh, buyers for some players in the January window planning and uh, strategizing for the summer uh, you know which is going to be a very important summer as well are you a little bit concerned that maybe the the appointment that was mooted after the Department of Fami uh, hasn't quite happened yet? I mean the uh, the January transfer window. I know there's still a couple of weeks, but you know you've got to be doing the the groundwork and all of that kind of business now. So is there a danger that Mikel Arteta is? I, I wrote about this a bit in the blog this week. Maybe spreading himself a bit thin, given the extra duties that he's taken on board. I mean we don't know for sure, but you know there's there's um, a little bit of doubt in my mind that that you know his focus might just be taken away from the pitch a little bit. Certainly, I, I would share those doubts. I don't know, um, I don't, and I don't know what's happening with Farmy. The, the view was always he would be replaced, but he'd be replaced with someone at a more junior level. Yeah. Um, it would be someone that would kind of specifically manage the contract. I have questions about that. If he's junior, is how, how 
you know, does that mean he takes responsibility for a the next Abamyang level contract? Who negotiates that? Is that Vinay? Um, Edu. Edu, yeah, because you know, obviously the the. the you know, there were there were questions I think about Huss and he 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 could rub some people up the wrong way, but um, you know it was it's very valuable to have someone that is almost a link man between the business and yeah. the football operations. Um, I certainly certainly I, I would worry about Arteta spreading him thinly because himself thinly because it is a natural aspect of anyone when they start out in a career or even in a new job, but particularly I think when you, you know, he is, he's the equivalent of a 25 year old entering the, you know, entering the job market or whatever, you know, entering his first proper job. And, you know, no one really tells you, you don't have to do everything. You don't have to kind of be involved in every little thing of the company, just learn your trade and do one thing really well. I mean, I know from, from my own experience that that's, you know, you, you know, when you start out, as a journalist, no one tells you, uh, you need to make sure you, you know, you value your private time. You take your days off that you're supposed to. Yeah. The equivalent of that for Arsenal manager would be, you know, Mikko, you, you don't have to involve yourself in every aspect of the club because one of the things that people at Arsenal rave to me about is he's had, he's, made, he's done, managed such a cultural overhaul, which is brilliant and outstanding and one of the reasons you wouldn't want to lose him. But, it's putting a lot on your plate when you were also learning how to do the job you're hired to do. I would, and I would worry quite a bit about that uh, because Edu equally has not had this experience at top level European uh, club, top European club level. Yeah. If you know, he's he's done it with Brazil, he's done it with Corinthians. This is completely different. This is, you know, this is Monte Carlo Casino right now. He's in, and there are a lot of people there who are very capable of fleecing him out of some money. I do think it, it, it misses one person, a person with like decades of football experience at a high level in the Europe, you know, playing the European game. Um, that person is missing. I've not had any indication that Arsenal are looking to hire that person. This is a two-man band right now of Edu and Arteta on the footballing side. And that's a worry. Mm. It's a worry because there's no one around to, you know, just say this is I've seen this happen before a lot um you know I think to this is going back years and years and years but when and this is it's a strange example that a lot of listeners won't really remember but you know when there was someone like Terry Venables at Middlesbrough and it was odd and people go oh is, is he not you know getting in people's way but if you find a veteran experienced person like that who's just happy to sit back consult offer words of, of wisdom. I'm wondering if Arsenal have anyone like that. Mm. Any former managers who might have managed for 20 odd years. I don't think actually adding <laughs> Arsenal to this setup would help at all. But no. um, you know what I mean? Like it yeah. just needs, it needs someone that just knows a bit more about how, how the whole industry works. I think yeah. to help, help out. Well, I mean, that is the thing. And, and I don't want to make this Arteta specific and I'll make this sort of the final point, um, you know, because managers live and die by results you know, there's no two ways about that. They can be the greatest thinker in the world, but if they don't produce results, game over. Simple as that. And that will be the case with Mikel Arteta and it'll be the case with whichever manager follows him and the one after that and the one after that and so on. But as a football club, Arsenal are badly in need of somebody to put in place a plan. 
because so many of the decisions have been taken in the short term. Too many short-term decisions to try and dig ourselves out of a hole. Instead, we're kind of digging ourselves deeper. So we need someone to stay to come along and say, "Stop digging, you idiots!" and use the ladder that's right behind you. You know, uh, somebody has to put in place a plan, a strategy from top to bottom. You know, recruitment, playing style. You know, the squad makeup. Who do we keep? Who do we sell? Who do we who do we move on? Uh, you know, when do we move them on? All of these things. You know, how do we generate funds? You know, do we sell a player we don't want to lose, but the funds that we might generate could bring us in? You know, a couple of players that prove to be really, really valuable. You know, and and uh, that's where I'm I'm finding myself a bit stuck at the moment. In that, you know, I recognize that what's happening is not good, is not good enough. But at the same time, if we just keep lurching from one new appointment to another, another guy comes in and says, well, this is what I want to do. This is my culture. This is my philosophy. You know, it needs to be something from the top down that people slot into rather than being this kind of firefighting exercise that's going on and has been going on for a few years. Yes, Oh, it's really awkward when someone just replies to you with one word. Uh, <laughs> hang on, no, hang on. I'll just call up Charles Watts now and just ask him to uh, get you to expand on that. No, I complete. I completely agree. I think. Um, I think that 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 isn't just about the the internal the club internally as well. They have been guilty of making a lot of decisions that are about if we can just get back into the Champions League next season, if we can just do enough if Willian can get us across the line if Stefan Licksteiner can just get us across the line I'm forgetting <laughs> others there must be more there feels like there have been an awful lot of I mean you know if, if Aubameyang's contract is just enough to get us across the line yeah and I mean I you know I think you sh- they should have signed Aubameyang's new contract but there's a convincing case that you go well we're not making the Champions League this you know in the coming season probably yeah we need to, to be planning for years at the Champions League, but then coming back much stronger with a really well-built squad. Um, but that also that that does also come down to the dialogue around the club, as, uh, particularly fans. I know that social media is not representative of the majority of Arsenal fans, and that the you know the loudest shouts aren't always the truest. But you can't want a rebuild and then you know complain. Uh, when things don't kind of go well, when there's a, a lull in results, I, I mean, I believe that Arteta has a plan. I think that the challenge is he, he. I agree that there is, and I think that Arsenal buy into Arteta's plan. He needs more people at a high level with experience to help him implement this shared vision. But that also requires patience from a, a, the fan base, which is hard because you're mm. an Arsenal fan. You didn't get into this. You know, obviously, you don't get into it for results, but you didn't get into this expecting your team would be 15th in the Premier League a third of the way through the season. And, you know, I, I totally understand that. But you, there, there has to be an, an acceptance that there is going to be a lot of rough with the smooth, um, that there is little value to another overhaul, another cultural reset, another clean out of staff that sometimes you just have to wait. You have to go through some rubbish times to to get to the the better positions and you have to give people time to implement 
the big picture if mm. that's what they're trying to do and that's what Arteta wants to do and every Arsenal supporter knows that Arteta right now does not have the raw ingredients to achieve what he wants to what supporters want um, and you have two options you either have you either give him time um, assuming that Arsenal don't get relegated and I think that's the only thing that would, you know, a serious spectre of relegation. From what I've heard, that's pretty much the only thing that would cost Arteta his job. So you either give him time or you just start this all over again. You start this whole cycle again. You accept that some of the long-term buys that, that Arteta made and is planning to make aren't going to be the ones that the next coach wants. And you're back at square one. I mean, Arsenal mm. right now, maybe at square two of a 10-step plan, but you don't want to keep stepping back to square one, do you? Yeah, no. It, it might not be the perfect plan. It might not be the plan that turns Arsenal into Liverpool, but it might be one that takes them forward. And I think right now you just need to, hard as it is, it just needs to be a sort of girding of of things to get through this season. It will look better next year. There's more money, more wages, you know, more wage money to spend. Mm. It's fair to question whether they're doing this right, but... I think it's also fair to then say, who do you think would do it better? And yeah. is there really someone that could achieve that, that would take the job? I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I think that's fair. I think it's fair to say that he doesn't have the raw ingredients to to to, to implement his, his absolute vision. I do think the the question or the, the issue is that he's got, uh, he's, what he's got is capable of better than what he's mm. giving right now. And that's where, that's where the issue is. Of course, I did like the idea of a 10 step plan. Uh, I thought maybe a 12, <laughs> 12 step plan. We could call it Arsaholics Anonymous, but um, <laughs> maybe not. Anyway, look, we, we better leave it there. Let's keep fingers crossed for Sunday. James, always great to talk to you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you very much indeed to James. You can find him on Twitter at James Benge. That is at James Benge. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Very quickly, looking ahead to the weekend, we are playing on Sunday evening against Burnley. It is one of those 7.15 on a Sunday evening kickoffs, which means that your entire weekend is spent waiting and waiting and waiting for Arsenal to do what you hope Arsenal will do, only to discover that they do something completely different. It is very difficult to know what we're going to do. Well, actually, that's not necessarily true. I kind of have an idea of what we're going to do. I just hope I'm really, really wrong about it you know we have to start winning games again we have to start getting back on track i know it's it's very difficult when things are this 
bleak to see any kind of silver lining, to see any kind of light at the end of the tunnel. But, you know, I do think that, you know, we're not the team I hoped we would be this season, but I don't think we're quite this bad, even though obviously results and league position tells you we kind of are. I think we've we've got more in us than we're seeing at this moment in time. This is a team that's low on confidence, low on belief, um, things which were part of what made us reasonably effective in the last few months. And that seems to have gone out the window. Mikel Arteta, as a young manager, uh, it looks like he's feeling the pressure. And, and, you know, he should be feeling the pressure because results and performances have not been good enough in the Premier League. You've got to leave Europe to one side. It's a different thing. In the Premier League, the bread and butter results have not been good enough. So a good result on Sunday, it's not going to make everything right. But it might be the first step to getting back to something like uh, a semi-competent football team. And from there, those small, tiny building blocks, you might be able to build something else. Uh, it's it's really difficult, as I said, not to have huge doubts and huge worries and, and all of those things. But, you know, I think there is a tendency... Uh, you know, when something good happens, we perhaps overegg the goodness. And when something bad happens, we look at it through the lens of, of worst case scenario. And I kind of feel like we're a bit like that at this moment in time. And uh, that's not unreasonable, given what we've done. We've lost the Derby. We've lost to Aston Villa. We've lost to Leicester. We've lost to Wolves. It is a lot to deal with in a very short period of time. But things might look rosy, rosier if we can get a couple of wins under our belts. Um, You know, this is slightly atypical of what we've done so far under Mikel Arteta, you know, even in terms of the the style of football, as we were talking about with James. So, you know, let's see what we can do on Sunday against Burnley. Whatever happens, we will discuss it on the Arscast Extra on Monday. As ever, thank you very much indeed for being here. We really appreciate all your support on Patreon and everything else. We will have a preview uh, preview pod for the uh, Burnley game. Myself and Lewis Ambrose will be recording that today and that will be available for you on Patreon. So if you want to sign up, get access to that. Get access to all the exclusive Patreon content, free audiobook, ad-free apps, uh, ad-free podcasts, and loads more discord chat the whole lot sign up at patreon.com forward slash arseblog right until monday take it easy folks keep your fingers crossed keep everything crossed that we can find the win against burnley and you know use it as a uh, a positive uh, uh, what's the word an antidote perhaps to what's come before okay until monday thanks for listening take it easy cheers bye-bye Next up at the Comedy Store open mic, ladies and gentlemen, it is Steve. He says he's an Arsenal fan with some football-related jokes. Sounds great. Take it away, Steve. Who's that on, yeah? All right, uh, thanks. Thanks very much, yeah. Arsenal, yeah, really, yeah. Really like crosses, don't they? Be like Jesus, you know? Because <laughs> every time they do a cross, I go like, ah, Jesus. Not again. Suppose 
Jeez, it didn't really, uh, didn't really like crosses that much in the end, did he? No. That one doesn't work. Okay, back to the drawing board on that one. Arsenal have got more crosses than, uh, than, uh, than, than, than a hardware store for vampires. <laughs> yeah, I don't suppose hardware stores would stock things which are basically implements of destruction for, for their own kind. Yeah. Um, what have Mikel Arteta and your ma telling you to go clean your room got in common? They both make you cross. <coughs> ah, fuck you then. Stand-up comedies for cunts anyway. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 